roll for us, but we can roll for you. My name is Paige. My name is Michelle with an M. <laughs> this is my girl's way, sucks. I'm pretty tired, not gonna lie. I'm not tired. I'm just like perpetually exhausted. I've been sleeping too much. I'm not trying to get in that practice for four hour a night schedule and this like eight to ten hour a night is really not cutting it. Yeah. Anyway, but um this episode we're gonna be talking about a book we read. And the book is <laughs> just like every other episode. So big So far. <laughs> just tune in to history and mystery. <laughs> Like, just kidding. Um, we read Scarlet Undercover by Jennifer Latham. Yeah, this was our other one of the things we picked up as a diverse book. It features a Muslim American heroine, also written by a white woman. <laughs> so, if she consulted someone who sounds not white, <laughs> she, there's someone that she talks about in the acknowledgments who she thinks for helping her with Arabic and aspects of Islamic culture. Now, if you go on Goodreads, you'll find a lot of people arguing about this. Because as you can imagine, not everybody's pleased with the protection of Islam. Which I'm sure would be true for this way. I mean, Islam is a huge thing. There's a lot of diversity. So, you're also satisfied all people. Right, and I feel like this also kind of focuses on like fringe mythological elements of Islam, which doesn't seem. And I mean, my knowledge of Islam is fairly limited. That doesn't seem central. Just like people in the Christian world were not super excited when like Da Vinci Code was out. Yeah. I feel like this is slightly more respectful than Da Vinci Code, but I'm not actually sure. And yeah, I mean, this is clearly trying to be like a mythical. I mean, in the book, it's supposed to be real. Right. But I don't think that anyone's trying. No one's picking this up and I'm like, oh, this is what Islam's about. No. Right. Da Vinci Code, I mean, also Da Vinci Code is such a, much, a bigger phenomenon. The Vinci Code also, like, people people believed it. People were like, oh yeah, this is true. And I just remember um, when Da Vinci Code came out, my church had, like, a Sunday that was about, like, Da Vinci Code and why you should not be for this. Uh-huh. And you shouldn't go see the movie. And, like, I don't remember if it was when the book came out or when the movie came out. But I think it was on the movie came out because that's when I got, like, really, really big. It was already pretty big, but my church was like, Myth buffed in the Da Vinci Code, and I was like, do we really do this? Like, it's a fiction book, everyone. Well, yeah, this thing, I mean, I mean, yeah, a lot of people took it really seriously. And I think, as hopefully we have seen with some time, maybe, what's, what's his name who writes them? Dan Brown. Dan Brown, Dan Brown knows less than nothing about history, religion, and writing. His books are also trash. <laughs> like, they're very poorly written. I'm, talking, I'm not just saying, like, oh, they're genre fiction. It's not literature. I'm saying they're very poorly written genre fiction. He's not a good writer. I don't remember. I read the Da Vinci Code when I was in seventh grade, so I don't remember. Yeah, I read like 350 pages. I didn't even finish it. But I read a lot of it because it was there, funnily enough, on the church retreat. Some girl brought the Da Vinci Code along and I didn't have my book. I read it in secret when I was in seventh grade because I was really concerned about what my peers would say about me reading this book, but the church was like, don't read. Well, I read, I read it in the car ride home from the retreat because that was what was there. And I think I got to like 350 pages when I was finished it. Because, I mean, that's like gripping while you're reading it, I guess. Right. Stuff's happening. But once you put it down, like, I don't I was, I was not like, oh, I need to see about it. Anyway. Anyway. Back to the book. So, yeah, but it is very focused on 
kind of this mythology that's very rooted in Islam. Yeah. Yeah, Supposedly, I mean, this is what we're getting from the book. Like, we got right. totally wrong. Some of it, like, jinns, I know, that are a part of, like, the Islamic culture. Like, it did seem it was, tied in from yeah. my knowledge. And it did like, the seem... Middle Eastern culture, you know. I guess also Islam. I don't know why I'm trying to talk about this. Yeah. I don't know why I'm trying to make this work. Whatever. Never mind. The point is, we don't know. Anyway, back to the book. Okay, so this girl, Scarlet, is an orphan, like our last book, where they both vying for orphans. You can't have, she's if you want like a wife up to be like good, you can't have the protagonist parents hanging around, so you either have to kill them or make them very absentee. That's just like a rule of thumb. Or go to a boarding school. That's true. That is quite true. So I'm she, not she, she's an orphan. It's fine, I'll do it myself. I don't need you. Um, she's an orphan, she's 15, but she's already graduated high school and she's very smart. Um, she has gotten into a lot of trouble in her past, but has kind of turned her life around and is now uh, like a private investigator and has worked with the police on stuff. There's some, there's some reference in the book that she like, caught a killer, so congrats. Whatever. Anyway, yeah, she's a private investigator. Um, so the book opens <laughs> with her meeting with a new client. So it's this little girl, elementary school aged for sure, named Gemma. Um, and Gemma has come to her because her brother has been acting very strangely, and this boy has just recently committed suicide. And she believes um, that, and it was one of her brother Oliver's friends, and she believes that Oliver if, was very connected to the reason why he killed himself. Um, and may have been the reason he killed himself, and he's been acting like super strange. And she just wants her brother back. So, kind of the end of the conversation there. Yeah, but she thinks her brother might be a killer. Yeah. Which is concerning. Right, and he's acting like super strange. Mm-hmm. And Scarlet at first is like, uh, you know, probably doesn't often, you know, take manuals on his clients, so we just take my brother's acting strange. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really establish it. But she takes their case on a and she starts investigating. And we're gonna sum this up like real fast. Yeah. With minimal details. Because we don't really care, slash we don't have the time for this. Um and just want to I Um come to find out, she starts investigating Oliver and his friend that has jumped off the bridge. We're sort of wrapped up in this bizarre, like, cult that has something to do with this, like, Islamic mythology. Um, it's like children of Iblis. Iblis. Whatever that is. It's okay. might be a thing, but... Yeah. So Iblis, uh, and this is really, really tied in, like you said, to that Islamic mythology. So Iblis is a jinn, which we... It's, it's like um, a genie. A genie, but not like a Aladdin genie, so... Jinn are somewhere in between angel and human, and they are made out of, like, the smoke. If angels are made out of fire and people are made out of clay, jinn are made out of smoke. And so the mythology goes that originally they were allowed to kind of go back in between the two worlds, between, like, the angel, heavenly world, and the earthly world. Um, But then they did something bad. I'm not exactly sure. I don't exactly remember what that was. And then the ones that were bad got trapped in human form on earth. And then the rest of them got trapped in heaven. Um, so yeah, but they kind of have a little bit more kind of supernatural power, you might say, than a human would. So they're kind of a little bit mystical. 
But they've also gotten traction, so now they're like descendants. Yeah, this whole weird storyline. So this cult thing, this children of Iblis are the descendants of this Jamie thing, this Jin thing. And they want to like, this whole thing is started, there's this like storyline about King Solomon who trapped them who, all. Who was the one that sealed the world. So. Yeah, so there's this bottle thing that we can't pronounce. Shabuk? I don't think that's it. It has two A's. Shabak, Shabak would be closer, I think. Again, we don't know how to pronounce it, so we weren't going to an insult at the start of it anyway. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not always willing to give it a try. <laughs> Magical bottle thing to the portal. And then there's also a ring that gives you power over Right, you need to just Because, like, the portal doesn't open to Breezley. Obviously, because you wouldn't want it to open to Breezley. So you have to have, like, this power ring in order to open it. Yeah. So, um, and the two items have to be tied together. So, there, so there's this children of... Iblis. Iblis. That's how we're pronouncing it. <laughs> For the record, we could be completely... And then there's the protector of this... this uh, just like the children of Iblis are kind of like a descendancy from this jinn, Iblis. Um, there's also two family lineages. So the descendants of Solomon's and descendants of Solomon's daughter, which to me it sounded like they were the same thing. Because Solomon's daughter descendant of Solomon. But anyway, beyond the point. So, descendants of Solomon take care of the ring, descendants of Solomon's daughter take care of this bottle portal. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also the children of Iblis, like, it is this, these Jin descendants, but they've also, they've clearly roped in, it's like Oliver and Sam, the way he killed himself, like, or Sam's name about it, who's the guy who killed himself, Quinn. I don't know, whatever. And like, why did they rope in these rings and help them? Yeah. Like, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. Because it was free labor. Right, and they're trying to, they, they know that um, Scarlet's family has the bottle, but they don't know where the ring went. So the ring is lost. And the ring is lost for everyone. Mm-hmm. And no one knows what the ring is. And that's, we find out, we find out that's where the kid jumped off of the bridge, is because he had the envelope that led to this billionaire who stole the ring off of this other guy. Super convoluted and complicated. Um, and the reason she was able to make her billions was she was like a pickpocket street kid, and then she stole the ring. And the ring has enough power where she's able to like make her billions off of kind of create an empire. Mm-hmm. So that's the only I was like waiting for things to get real magical and for things to get a little bit scarier. Really concerned about demons because Jen sound a lot like demons and I like really not a fan of demons. I'm very scared of them. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. So anyway, I was very concerned that was gonna happen. It didn't happen. The only real mystical supernatural thing that really happens is this ring seems to have certain magic powers. It does have magic because she went to talking to dogs later. Not like having conversations with them. Control the dog. Okay. Um, yeah, there was a lot less magic than I thought. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so Scarlet tracks down the ring. Yeah. And so she winds up with both the ring and the bottle. And they, there's a scene where she's trying to get Gemma back. Because Gemma was her original kind by kidnapped by these people. And there's a. Basically, at the very end, the final climactic, we're skipping out a lot of stuff, but we don't care. You shouldn't care either. This final climactic scene at this construction site where she's going to get Jimmy back, and she sort of sounds with these people, and she wins at this point. Yeah. So she, like, she like, gives them, like, a fake bottle, and then also, like, a fake ring. She, okay. like, got them a hot job. Like, the fake bottle. Oh, yeah, this is kind of heavy. Okay. And they're like, why does it look anything like it's supposed to? Because it's supposed to have Solomon not on it. Um, and... She's like, they filed it off. Hi, Katie. 
Descendant of Solomon that's controlling the rain, who's been playing this long con and actually believes that she is Iblis. Maybe she is. Who knows? We don't know because she never gets a hold of the ring or the bottle, so she never gets to do any magic. But, um, yeah, and so she, we thought she was a good person, sort of, except she was, I like, she was always like really crazy and never trusted her. Um, but she turns out to be like the big bad. And then also the police officer that she's friends with, that, that uh, Scarlett is friends with. For five seconds, we think he might be in the line. But then he turns out to save the day. Okay. So, like, okay. Also, the boys weren't like, because I totally thought they were possessed, because his personality, like, Oliver, mm-hmm. the boy who were like originally investigating, his personality totally shifts, and he's like scary. His sister, mm-hmm. like, is terrified of him. Yeah. And he also keeps his room clean all the time, which is like one of the things that Gemma points out is like, this is not my brother because mom used to nag him all the time for cleaning his room and now he doesn't clean at all. He just carves weird symbols of the back of the store. So yeah. Yeah, so like if you're confused, like maybe that was due to our plot summary, but also like again, I read every word in this book and I'm still kind of like, like I guess I understand on one level, yeah, I understand what happened. Mm-hmm. I read a but I'm still just kind of like, it's yeah. just weird. It didn't really make sense. Even when I know technically what happened and I kind of like get it, I'm still just like, right. it wasn't well plotted, I felt like. Yeah. It was just a bunch of like bizarre, tenuous connections. There yeah. was not like a driving, I mean, there was a driving force, but it, I don't know. It reminded me a lot of a younger book because I feel like there was very minimal like, character development. I think perhaps you could say that Scarlet now has a better appreciation for, like, her lineage and her religion. Like, perhaps you could say that, but beyond that, like, there's very little character development. There's very little, like, growth within the individual characters. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that really is changing is, like, this, like, very beginning and action, we have to save the day sort of plot. Yeah, it just seemed like there was, so it was just, like, a bunch of random stuff. And- mm-hmm. It was, they often just like connected off with it. And yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, sure, billionaire, okay, like whatever, just like draw in here. And I'm just like, there's no reason any of this hangs together. It's all just a bunch of random coincidences. Like how the woman ended up with the ring. She's like totally random. Right. It's just like, I'm just like, it just made no sense from a plotting standpoint. I didn't under- yeah, I don't a- think of myself really as like a bad reader, as someone who's unable to understand complex plots. I've read a lot of mystery novels or whatever. Right. I'm able to follow the book. This just was just like, right. I don't and it wasn't why this is happening. And it also wasn't like important to follow the plot to some extent. Like, it's like, yeah. There's a lot of like, ooh, mysteries being solved. But like, there's no reason for you as a reader to be very concerned about keeping track of all these like minor coincidences and occurrences because at the end, it's just like Scarlet gets the things, prevents the people from getting them. And it's on with her life. Yeah. 
Because I feel like sometimes in a mystery plot, things are kind of convoluted and there's a lot of coincidences, but like there's an incentive for you as a reader uh-huh. to keep track, to kind of figure out what's going on. But I feel like there's no reason you need to figure out what's going on, because in the end, what's happening is Scarlet went with the false things and she doesn't let the bad people get them. Also, I don't know why she never... She would have just never taken that bottle out of the safety deposit box. She would have, I guess she had to save Gemma. I don't know. I just felt like it was, there was... We believed the plot that happened because the author told us that was what was right. happening. Right. And I just felt like... It didn't seem like there was any of that. Like, that naturally, that was the direction the plot tended to Right. Whatever. That's how I felt it. Yeah, I felt like it was very flat. We saw very little character development. Um, she does sort of have a love interest that she's like... Again, there's like minor things that could, I guess, be considered character development. She falls in love with this boy. But they were getting in love before the book started. And they just decided... And it's like nothing has happened yet. Right. And then... And but they like just... Um, she like is... Cause her like sister, I don't know why they are. I have no idea what they're, why they like each other. No idea. So her dad was killed by the this... Uh, I don't know if you said that. But her dad was killed by the children of Idlis. And her mom died because she had cancer mm-hmm. and then didn't want to go to the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Which is, and the book is written as because she was a Muslim woman and she just, it would be like immodest. Right. Mm-hmm. And, they do, and they do say that, like, that's not like um, Islamic law at all. And they do mm-hmm. sort of make that clear. But when I'm pushing people on good reason, right. like, um, not cool. Right, because that's like not something they want to portray. But, I mean, at the same time, we do also have this image of Scarlet's older sister, who is a doctor, who mm-hmm. has taken this thing, horrible thing that's happened to her mother and turned it into something positive. And she, and Scarlet's older sister had really embraced types of Islam and was praying five times a day and is wearing a hijab. Um, and Scarlet has gone in the completely opposite direction as, like, whatever, I don't care about this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, she, like, kind of follows along when her sister makes her. Right. She's not, like, a Satanist. Like, she, but she would be met, what you might call a cultural Muslim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's less... And Islam is very focused on, like, practice over belief. That's one of the, like, things that you could describe right. Islam, yeah, right? It's a more of an orthoprax religion than an orthodox religion. So orthoprax meaning practice-focused and orthodox meaning belief-focused. Um, and so the fact that Scarlett has, like, decided to not follow these practices mm-hmm. is like very important in Islamic culture because that that would be kind of primary about you the belief system. Right. The practices that make you makes you Muslim, not the belief system. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I mean and this I think where people are sort of taking the issue, perhaps. And part of it is the depiction of Islam and these studies they brought up. Also I think people if you are Muslim and you read this about a girl who's not really a practicing Muslim who kind of has disdain for a lot of it, mm-hmm. you would maybe not be super pleased. And so which is I don't know, like I, I get it, I guess that like yeah, just because the novel's about a Muslim church doesn't mean that they have to be necessarily observant. Right. But you don't have to make them observant to write right. a religion. At the same time though, it's sort of a fine line. Because I know I would not care to read a novel about a girl who was like nominal Catholic but only had this thing. But then has to like save the Catholic Church in a sense. <laughs> if we were to follow the plot of this book. Right. Yeah, it yeah. seems. That seems weird. And I think it's particularly because we get so little representation of Muslim Americans in my literature, like mm-hmm. I can't really think of anything else that I have read. Um, I might have some like 
in some distant past. But I can't think of anything off the top of my head that like features a Muslim protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when we do see representation in uh, a character that is so underrepresented, that having a fuller actual practicing Muslim would be a more helpful representation to add if that's your goal is to, which it seems like is Jennifer Latham's one of her main goals is to create a story that centers around Islamic mythology. Mm-hmm. So having a more practicing protagonist, I think, would be more appropriate. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not Muslim, so I'm not going to comment on like, the depiction. Like, I don't know what's accurate, and I don't know how I feel if I was Muslim, if I'd be okay with this or not. Right. But if, I mean, if I would apply it to other situations, yeah. I would maybe not be right. super psyched about this particular portrayal of. And it's not like yeah, she again. Like, she's not, not, not saying it. She yeah, she's not trashing it. She's not like anti these things, but it's also not like a super positive, super like empowered representation of like what it means to be Muslim in America. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, okay, yeah, so we told you basically about the book. I have some, so I didn't like any, like, no part of this book worked for me. Yeah. The plot, we've already discussed, I didn't like that. But there are a bunch of other parts I didn't like, too. So I'd like to take a moment about the other parts I didn't like about this book. Kristoff <laughs> is, well, the start of it, because at the very beginning, it becomes super noticeable, like, immediately. And that is that this book has, it's, like, written in this hard-boiled tone. And the sense of like Philip Marlowe or um, maybe film noir. So we're talking like this super, like, if you think of hardboiled novel, mystery novels and characters, they're typically always, I don't have an extensive knowledge of mm-hmm. hardboiled detective fiction. Right. Because um, as we talked about in another podcast, I like to read cozy by Agatha Christie. Um, because I like, um, murder when it happens in rich people's houses, um, between tea time and cocktail hour. It's far more fascinating. Just, like, various variations on, like, the game clue. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's a great movie. <laughs> That's a classic. And, and a great board game. <laughs> also a good board game. Anyway. Actually, really, that board game does not withstand the test of time. I think that working now as, like, an adult person is, like, really not quite as fun as I remember. <laughs> I haven't tried no out. The movie, though, just always gets better. Um, anyway, okay, back to the book. Um, so I don't have, like, a really extensive knowledge about that. I mean, we're talking, I can't think of anything that has a female protagonist in a hard-boiled detective novel and a classic one that I don't think really fun. Well, then, you know, Mars has to show up as, like, the sensitive Right, I mean, as a classic one, that would not be, like, that would work. Yeah, doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Because that the time period when that was coming out, that would have been unheard of. Yeah. Uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so this book is written in this hardboiled tone. And like I have three notes on it to cover the first four pages of the book. That's how obvious it is. By page one in my notes it says hardboiled tone, question mark. Um the first sentence is the kid was cute. And it goes on and like it very much sounds like he would like, hear this thing to say. As a voiceover, as we like pan into his window, his like his the frosted glass with his name uh-huh, on it, uh-huh, and he's uh-huh. like sitting at his desk smoking. Yeah, smoking <laughs> the bottle of whiskey. 
Are you a winner? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, maybe he's pouring himself some while he's smoking, and this voiceover is happening. Yeah, we're alternating between the glass and the cigarette. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, wait, I'm going to yeah. go back, because I think, I'm not sure if this is what you meant, but you said you can't think of a, like a traditional, like, private, a PI, hard-boiled type mm-hmm. novel that has a female, yeah. like, protagonist. Uh-huh. Would you be against one happening? That's what it sounds like. Because <laughs> I think I like would not be against. Okay, so I'm gonna bring in a television show that I think has done film noir in the modern sense really well, and Jessica Jones mm-hmm. um, takes the very much film noir esque setup um, with this with Jessica Jones. She's the like the private investigator, and that's how we kind of begin to know her. And I feel like they've done a really great job uh-huh. of setting her up with that, and then kind of deconstructing that narrative as well and talking about why she built that for herself and uh-huh. like, I feel like it works really well because she's had a good reason to be hardened and I feel like uh-huh. perhaps Scarlett has because both her parents have died but yeah so that's no I'm not against it for a, a female privacy but right. I think the hard-boiled tone is also something that's like really hard to do right without it being a cliche parody of it essentially without it turning into like this like slapstick or something right. As, i think especially um, like coming from a 15 year old girl it like very well, much yeah, sounds like a 15 year old girl like playing dress up yeah it's it sounds ridiculous in this novel because so that's my that was my note on page one and then page three i've noted she so Gemma, she talks to Gemma in the beginning of this novel, this nine-year-old girl, and she refers to Gemma and calls Gemma kid literally, like, every single time, in her head and out loud. Um, by page four, my third note on this phenomenon says every other freaking sentence in all caps, because that's what it's like. She says kids so often, it's, it's unbelievably annoying, and it just sounds ridiculous. I don't know any teenage girl who refers to, like, a nine-year-old. They're only, like... They're like a six year age gap here or what? Right. And she's referring to them as kid. And I just, I don't know. Right. That's bizarre. I have called people children as a child. Um, like, that's like, like time, like, I'm not page. So, page, then I'm not page. Well, I was going to Well, I did not page one. We've known each other since we were 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Page called, like, our fellow high school peers children. I would, I literally would have one as an RA when I was married in college. I called my my children. I was like, I have to go take care of the children. Some of them are older. I'm sorry, you know, I think a child to get called a child, but I never call them kid. I would call them kids. I'd be like, I have to go take care of my kids because they're little babies, eighteen yeah. year old babies. But that's just totally different than calling someone kid to their face, being like, hey, kid. Yeah, like, do you have an open container at all? <laughs> I think that would be like the true. I'm gonna write one. It's gonna be a film noir style <laughs> novel about being an RA. <laughs> like people are gonna come to me and they're gonna be like, I have a problem. My roommate is <laughs> bringing her boyfriend around. Brilliant. This is brilliant. Don't steal her idea. Well, we just hit on a gold mine here. <laughs> and you know what? As an RA, I feel like I have a right to be hardened on hard PI. You say some shit. Liberal. Smeared on all. <laughs> Um, I haven't seen that, but like, I would not have been shocked to see that in my like time. And I, yeah, I'll tell you some stories. <laughs> we'll say that for later. But um, 
Yeah, no, I just think it was a ridiculous tone to take. It was more than just her calling Gemma kid repeatedly again and again, continued to the novel. It was just another thing as well, where she's this hardened, cynical figure. And, like, I just, like, I haven't expected her to start with Fringe of Women and Stains. And, like, <laughs> I kept the bar before lunch for her whiskey. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's 15 and she doesn't smoke, but there's a lot of characters in the novel that smoke for her by proxy. By proxy. Yeah. And, like, part of it clearly is, like, her coping method of mess. Mechanism. Mechanism. That was the word I was thinking of. Clearly getting a little tired of Curcio. Part of it is clearly her coping mechanism for grieving the death of both of her parents, which had happened, both the deaths had happened within the past several years, it seems. But her sister is like living a normal life. <laughs> yeah, her sister's not referring to people as kids. Her sister is like, he, like is doing her residency at all. Awesome. Her sister don't act like she's smoking two packs a day and drinking a bottle of blood every week. Like, yeah, it's strange. And she, like, even has, like, a diner that she goes to, which is, like, <laughs> like, not, like, this is a 40-year-old P.I. Yeah, it was too much. It was ridiculous. It made no sense with the, the teenage girl character, and I'm not saying... And I'm not saying this as someone who, like, wants her female protagonist and novels to be, like, pretty princesses. <laughs> we want them to be, like, Scarlet. Not Scarlet. We want them to be like Charlotte and stuff. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know where you're going with that. Yeah. But, I mean, to go back to a study in Charlotte, I think yeah. that was, we could also think, I mean, it's pretty similar to this novel in the sense that they're like, there's a mystery. Right. And there's a female like character yeah. who has suffered a lot. His, and, like, I really love the portrayal of Charlotte Holmes. Right. And I, yeah. feel, and I feel like they are able to do, because I think one of the reasons that Scarlet kind of is able or feels she is able to kind of call kids kid mm-hmm. is because she's smart. She's able to graduate high school early. Like she's a smart person, but that comes across very much. Give you a license to be freaking annoying about it. She it comes across just purely as pretentious. Yeah, and not as all not at all as like anything that would be helpful to other people. Just as pretentious. Right. Yeah. And yeah, and we were talking about this like a little bit earlier that. Um, I don't like a week ago, not an hour ago, but um, a study in Charlotte, like we really like, I like that Charlotte wasn't a perfect character, I like that she was like, she wasn't super nice, like she like had some, had some damage, um, I was really okay, I mean not expensive, like I think um, addiction of prescription drugs is a very cool thing, but I did by the end of that novel as we talked about <laughs> But I appreciated the portrayal of addiction right. um, in relation to Charlotte. And I remember, and I went on Goodreads um, to look at the reviews of the study in Charlotte, and I said, it's not as highly reviewed as I thought it should be. Because we really, really like it. It's our favorite book that we've read so far. And shout out to Brittany Cole Bolero. She yeah, was great. <laughs> that was nice. I love her on Twitter. She's our BFF. Um, but there were people that were like, there were a lot of reviews that are not like very well um, a lot of reviews from, like, I don't know, two, three stars or whatever, from people who were like, I didn't really like Charlotte, like, she was mean, I didn't really, like, plus she, like, does all, and, like, didn't like any of the, didn't like that she had any flaws in the mm-hmm. but in that case, at least it was flaws that were understandable. Right, I feel like it was a much realer depiction of uh-huh. what that kind of person would be like. This was yeah. very fake. And I feel like it could have been a facade that Scarlett put up, but it's not presented as a facade. It's not, because we're also in her head, and this is how she thinks, too. 
Right, I feel like there could have been a way in which this is presented as how Scarlett is presenting herself okay. and how this is using it as a facade to kind of help her cope, to help her kind mm-hmm. of feel like she has some structure and some safety in her life, and then is deconstructed, and maybe that could have been one way in which we saw character growth, but we didn't see that yeah. at all. That didn't happen. Michelle's just solving problems here. <laughs> Throwing out potential solutions. I'm always out to help the author. That's me. Um, <laughs> Give me a job. I can work for someone in publishing. There you go. Yeah. Um, so I really thought that it was just completely fake. I didn't like it at all. Yeah. And I'm not against the idea of where I thought it was going. So Michelle brought up Jessica Jones, but um, the, when we looked at this in Goodreads, what it was actually compared to with Veronica Mars, um, which is great. And I feel like Veronica Mars does an excellent job of a female private investigator who is like hardened in some ways, but she's not ridiculous. She's not like a caricature. A forty-year-old man. She's still demonstrably like a high school girl, um, who is smart and like involved with this like dark stuff a lot of times. But um, it's still like a very realistic teenage girl, like female character, um, while still being very mature and like pretty hardened by. If you don't know the story, I don't want to come out and give you like a little bit of it. <laughs> Um, don't spoil it, I haven't seen it here. Well, I'm not going to give you much. Like, you know, it's like the first episode, I think. Mm-hmm. She was like, she was typical blonde cheerleader, and then, like, stuff happened. Like, she is gets raped at a party. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, yeah, her dad, like, well, there's this big, her best friend gets murdered, too. And her, her dad, her dad used to be a sheriff, and, like, loses his position over, like, has to do with the best friend murder case, um, like takes not a popular position on it or whatever, and so a lot of it deals with like the mystery. And she like she doesn't even know who raped her, and um, like, she doesn't even know what happened to her, um, and so she like had all this trauma that happened to her, um, and so she has sort of like that more of a hardened aspect, but at the same time she still acts like a normal. Right. I think it does like a really good job of fusing those portrayals into like a realistic character. Yeah. This I felt like was just like, right. Wait, I feel like the only reason we knew that this was a teenage girl was because we were told. Right. Like, if someone had, if someone had, if this had been supposed to be like a forty-year-old man, I probably would have right. I almost wish even something as simple as like leaving her in high school mm-hmm. and having her have to interact with like peers. Um, but, but then I guess she kind of just run around the city. All they do is run around the city. It's like these vicious masks. Michelle, that's why we skipped the whole middle because it's like running around, running around, running around, solving tiny mysteries and like trying to figure out what happened. It doesn't matter in the end. Just like in Vicious Mass. Yeah. It's like, none of it mattered. A lot of action, a lot of build up that never builds anything. Right, it builds this, like if we would have cut out the middle, like you wouldn't have missed much. Because that was the thing we were trying to do all along. Yeah. Yeah, so that was like almost like the character and the tone. Um. Other two two weird things was on page forty nine. She uses the expression in scare quotes of four ways to Sunday. Um, there is an expression and it's called six ways to Sunday. Mm-hmm. Four ways to Sunday is a thing. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. Six ways to Sunday. We don't actually know what that means. Either. It means a lot. Like well, four ways is a lot. It's slightly less, right? Six ways to Sunday. It also it plays on the days of the week. Yeah, there's six days besides Sunday. Yeah, but four ways is four ways is Sunday. Four ways is Sunday makes no sense. I just was I thought that was bizarre. 
Also, in, on page 59, they're talking about 1001 Nights, and Scarlett says, my favorite story was the one about, like, Scheherazade, and I actually, like, tell my husband stories, and, like, is that not the whole framing device of 1001 Nights? She says it's her favorite story of 1001 Nights. And I have not read 1001 Nights, to be clear, but I'm pretty sure that's what the entire thing is about. Yeah. That's the whole framing device for the entire work. And the story she never read either, but... That is that's my, my impression. Yeah, that's my understanding of the book, so. Whatever. I thought that was weird. There's this weird stuff around. My other, my one big other thing about this, also there's a character in here called Emmett, and it's spelled with one T, which is clearly. Whatever, I don't care. But also by the time that Emmett showed up again on 185, I was actually like, who is this? Really? Yeah, I was like, I don't remember. Oh, I read this in like, one night. Mm, two nights. I read it mostly, I mean, I read a little lot of it today. And I, I was still like, who is this? Why is his name told from P? <laughs> who are these characters? I don't know, because, yeah. I mean, because Anna is a character who's brought in and then he's dropped from a long portion. So it kind of comes back in with when all these other characters are in the mix. And I'm just like, I don't know who this is. Really I figured it out eventually, but I remembered him. My big, my other big thing besides the character and tone was the sense of place and setting in this novel. I just not really take care of it. I seems real screwed up. Because on one hand, I really think like it's trying to build a strong sense of place. It names specific geographical features of the city, like the Baker Street Bridge, I think it's called. It names the diner, it names streets, it like names, names neighborhoods, it names other surrounding towns, and this is apparently happening in the city. I'm assuming it's a city, like a pretty sightful metropolis. The city of Los Alamos is where it's supposed to be taking place. We don't actually know what state it's in. We assume it's after a brief conversation. We're assuming California. Yeah, I'm getting a very strong like San Francisco Bay vibe from this. Yeah, it does seem like the Bay Area. Although Los Alamos might be just like a play on Los Angeles, but that that well, it's not like that, that, but it also is not saying us. You're not driving in Los Angeles, but it doesn't make sense. I mean, she's 15, so I guess she shouldn't be driving, but. It is well, the bridge it mentions it mentions a bridge over the bay, is it not? I don't remember, it's a bridge over water. It's a bridge, and I'm pretty sure it has to do with the bay. So I'm wondering if and it has to be a longest bridge. This is not a short bridge because they talk about sequences of them running on it. Mm-hmm. They're running for a hot minute. Yeah. So it can't be just like a, it's a dinky bridge. It's a huge bridge. bridge over water. So this really sounds like the Bay Area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it sounds a lot like the Bay Area. Yeah. The same thing is called Los Almas, which is not a place. We looked it up. Doesn't exist. She also mentions Daly as being a neighboring town, and that's also like Daly City is in the Bay Area. So I, I just, this is something that was really confusing to me. I don't understand why she was trying to set this up and then put it, give it a strong sense of place where that even without her saying that it was the San Francisco Bay Area, it seems very clear to you as a reader that it is. Well, at the same time, putting it in what is essentially a fictional city. I didn't care about this. It's part. supposed to be taking place in the real world. And she puts it in a random city, and it doesn't make any sense. Because there's lots of other novels that make very good use of setting. Um, the Spellman Files, which I would have recommended for this book, but we recommended it earlier, um, takes place in San Francisco, and it has a very strong sense of place in San Francisco. It points out real features and real neighborhoods, and it makes you feel like you know something about the city, even if you haven't been there. There are other novels that do it with all sorts of places. Places in New England, places in like, the Pacific Northwest, like whatever, it just seemed like this huge missed opportunity, and also just bizarre. Like, I don't know why you would choose to do this. I don't know either. But I also didn't care. 
Like how? Literally at all. And then I was trying to, before we talked, I brought this problem, and I was talking about other places that are in fictional cities, and she said those were different, and I don't really understand why that's okay. We don't even talk about it. But anyway, yeah, I have no problem with you making up fictional places. Well, the other thing that made us weird, just one last thing and I'm done. The other thing that made us <laughs> weird was that there's this building being built called the Parker, which, weird thing, it... Michelle's just drawing more things on The Parker, they keep capitalizing the T. So it's capital the, capital Parker, the Parker. Why would you capitalize the T? Does that make sense? No. It doesn't, right? No, I think like the plaza, you don't capitalize the T. Right? I don't think so. I don't know. I can't. I don't know why you're asking me. I literally don't know how to spell my own name half the time. So, that has nothing to do with grammar, but I also don't know that, so. That's true, but I really feel like I feel pretty strong when you never capitalize with T like that. It's weird. Um, I capitalize weird things. Haven't you ever read an email from me? <laughs> I have, that's true. And she doesn't know, but I'm pretty sure I know that you don't capitalize with T. Anyway, this is. Trust you over me on grammar issues. Yeah, exactly. There's this huge building called the Parker that's supposedly being built in Los Alamos. And the shoe of the Solomon Mountain, which I don't understand how that works. Well, I didn't understand anything about this building. But the way it's described in the, the novel, it says the Parker was going to be the biggest thing the world had ever seen. So taller than the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, which is pretty freaking tall. Yeah, I just have a friend who's up there. Really? Yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. He was just there. Huh. Now there's somewhere else. Really cool. Well, it's going to be taller than that. Sleeker than the Shanghai World Financial Center, greener than 30 St. Mary Axe in London, um, which these are like gigantic buildings in like like huge cities of the world, like Shanghai, London, and we're supposed to believe that this kind of building is going to be even bigger than those that's built in Los Alamos, which again, what the hell is Los Alamos? It's not a real, it's just like, don't point out only real things in the world and then have this giant city that's fictional. It makes no sense. She also talks about even how the offices, at least on the cheap to charities and not-for-profits, a mall full of fair trade stores run by at-risk teens and subsidized apartments for families with foster kids. I mean, this is the most specific collection of things going into the building that's going to be taller than the one that you buy, and you're going to fill the whole thing up with offices for charities, a mall which is only fair trade stores, only run by at-risk teens. And subsidized apartments for families only with foster kids. Okay, that's not how the world works. That's how okay, so it was. But, like, I went to a nonprofit and we did have a lease that was, like, our office was a lease that was given to us cheaper because we were a nonprofit. And it was in, like, a fairly nice ish, not, like, super nice, but the security unit at the door mm-hmm. in downtown Denver. And, but, like, our office was not on the corner. Like, we had, like, two offices in the corner that had windows, but, like, most offices didn't have windows because it was in the center of the building. Like, it just isn't financially feasible to fill a huge, when your goal is to build this, like, beautiful building that's so much better than all these other buildings, to fill it with nonprofits. That's just not how the world works. Like, this is an expensive building. You're going to need to, like, fill it with things that are expensive. Well, we're going to sell these fair trade woman baskets and clothes. At risk teens are gonna sell them. <laughs> it's basically gonna be that one thousand villages store, but only like seven. Okay, of them. well here's the problem. This is a problem that's it's gonna make <laughs> this is gonna sound bad, but it's really what happens. So you know who's gonna buy fair trade things? Wealthy people. Right. You know who's not gonna come to a place that also houses poor families? Rich people. Yeah. Like this is why areas become like ghettoized in modern 
modern culture. Gentrified? Gentrified, and also... Wait, what are we talking about? They were... No, oh, not gentrified, the opposite of gentrified. Okay, all right. Um, where areas become, like, city centers kind of become impoverished. Uh-huh. is because people <laughs> like to keep classes separate. People, wealthy people feel uncomfortable around poor people as a general rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not going to work. This is not a financially feasible building. Also, it's so freaking big. Is there, like, really, like, that many fair trade shops people <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. This makes no sense. Also, the biggest building in the world is going to be built in Los Alamos. So, don't really know what Los Alamos is. It's the same size as Los Angeles, but in San Francisco. There's not enough room for it because there's a reason San Francisco is not big. I just can't understand the setting in this novel. I don't care about setting. I do care about this building because it doesn't make financial sense and it just makes us seem like a holes for not doing this already. When people come up with these, like, large elaborate plans where we're just being so kind and generous that, like, are not financially feasible, and people that, like, are like, no, we're not going to do this, and it's not because they're a-holes, it's because they understand that this is not financially feasible. Is that necessarily a good thing? No, but it's the reality of the situation. <laughs> I'm not even sure what the hell's on to that at this point. I'm really mad, because... I think she's referencing something, but it's not a reference that we're all... I'm not referencing anything. I'm just mad about this building. Because now I want to fill my building with for profits because I want to like be able to pay rent and like cover my construction costs. I'm gonna be seen like a bad. Why are you filling it with insurance shops? <laughs> no, no one's gonna see that. I'm also not building a building. I have yeah, nowhere close to these kind of funds. I don't know. I don't even have my first million. I need a couple to build a building bigger than Dubai. God. Anyway. That's all I thought. It was just one more thing that didn't make sense in a book full of stuff that didn't really make sense. Oh, I thought you, you have one more? Or no, I that just said that one's one more. Yeah, okay. let's move on. Let's be done. Great. Drop the stuff. Okay. It's great. Yeah. We're reading so, this? On scale. Mystical items. On scale from a four-leaf clover to the Holy Grail. We're giving this a, a horseshoe. Horseshoe lucky charm. Lucky horseshoe. Turn the right way. You don't want to turn it upside down because then all the luck falls out. I'm talking about, I'm not sure if I'm saying the same thing, but I'm talking about the horseshoes and the lucky charms. Oh, I'm talking about a lucky charm. That would be a horseshoe. No, I'm talking about the legit horseshoe lucky charm of lucky charms. Well, I did. What did I I watch that? Really? What can't go off of our scale? No. What? I feel like that's lower than a four-leaf clover. I don't know. I'd rather have a marshmallow. I could eat it. I really like cookie terms. Well, the closures are really hard. In elementary school, I would like look for forty fillers yeah. because because I'm magic, right? And it was hard to find them. Yeah, right. So I feel like the cereals would be easy to find. Mm-hmm. And the marshmallows are the best part, though. As a child, I wouldn't eat the cereals because I thought it was cat food. <laughs> Don't know if I thought it was cat food or if that's just what I told my parents. <laughs> they eat all the marshmallows out, and they would be like, "I can't eat the rest of this cat food." <laughs> Why why do they have a bunch of colored mini marshmallows with cat food? I don't know. But I picked up the marshmallows. Needless to say, needless to say, I only think I got lucky charms like once or twice because Yeah, if I wasn't gonna eat the actual cereal part, only the marshmallows that wasn't gonna transfer on board with my head for me. Anyway, yeah, and so our book suggestion is but we're going to see a story. Oh, okay, yeah, I can remember from that. Yeah, so I mentioned before the Spelman trial, which we suggested during the Spelman trial. I think it's a really great book for this one as well. Um, it takes place in a real city, San Francisco. 
<laughs> and it's about a female part of mosquito who, like, is not perfect, but is also not an actor for 40 year old man. She drinks a lot. But like, she's also not 15. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's really good. It's a series. It's very good. Um, but yeah, so we needed a different book that wasn't that to recommend. Okay, nice it up, guys. Keep it fresh. Yeah, and so this felt a little bit to me with the Islamic mythology aspect. Felt a little bit to me like the Satanic Verses. Mm-hmm. It's on the Rashi, which is about the, the Satanic Verses. The Verses, I don't, I've been a couple of years since I read it, and I don't actually really know the, the true backstory. Mm-hmm. But these, this verses of the passage in the Quran that I guess got cut out. Or it was never supposed to be there. Yeah. Or yeah. is apocryphal? I don't know. It's with all the reason that Salman Rushdie. Yeah, he's a follower, and so this is why. Yeah. Because yeah. um, it, you know, it's this book that talks about a talks about these satanic verses, um, and also not the depiction of the prophet that I think most anyone, most any Muslim would um, care to see. Right. But um, when I'm reading that one, because he felt that was a little too hard and just a little too much. Like, just a little too. It's just it's a little too, much, too much. Too much. Too. Also, too. <laughs> I read it a few years ago and I didn't really like it, to be honest. I read it because it's long tech. It is also pretty. But long. I have read around, so. Harun, yeah, so we took a step down. We took about five, ten steps down. Yeah. Like, with Harun and the Sia story, which is also by Salman Rushdie, but not the kind of thing that would get a follow up with Sia. Probably. It's also a lot shorter. But it has, um... <laughs> I was like, does it have anything to do with the bone mythology? I have no idea. I don't remember anything. Probably not. I think that was new. But it's... It's not a Mythologically... Mythically... Story. It's very little... It's very little related. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of intellectually related. But look, we gave you that whole explanation of the Satanic Verses, and that's how we got Okay, this. so we really wanted to recommend the Satanic Verses. We didn't really want to recommend it. But we didn't want to recommend it. Because I didn't like it. Also, it was too much. So, reason it lighter. And that's why we're saying we're in the stories. Anyway, if you like the genie aspect of this, you'll probably like we're in the stories. It's also about stories in the return of mass cameras. Yeah. Anyway, we did the best we could. Okay, guys, catch a break. Don't argue. Watch some TV. We can recommend some TV shows. Yeah, watch Jonathan Mars. Mars. Watch Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, you can write this at smartbookbyastats at gmail.com and you should follow us on Twitter and Instagram and have your friend on Goodreads. Yay! Okay. We'll talk to you. Next week, we'll talk to you later. Something else. Hopefully, before 11 p.m., unlike right now. Before 11 p.m., by like two minutes. Yeah, okay, that's not good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, <laughs> <laughs>